Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the FO News Show. My name is Kevin Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. And then there were four, Jackson. We are down to our two AFC Championship games. Four teams left in the fold. Final countdown, buddy. News, news, news. Four teams left. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. 28 other teams still in the league still doing stuff. So we're going to have to... Mix and match playoff news with off-season news. We did it last week. Weaving and bobbing. Got to get to everybody. Everybody gets a turn at the table. You don't say, buddy. Jam-packed full of news. But do got to start with the most pressing news of the week, the single biggest story that could affect the entire outcome of one single game. Kansas State Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes High ankle sprain suffered in the divisional round against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mahomes comes out for a series. He could barely take two steps in a row without limping. And he comes in deals. Now the Chiefs are monitoring. According to Andy Reid, he's been doing treatment. He's doing okay. Mahomes said in a press conference today, feels better than I thought it was going to two days after the game. And according to NFL Network, Ian Rappaport, Holmes is practicing today, but we are still very cautious about this quarterback's ankle, especially given the matchup, Jackson. I mean, there's no way he's 100%. There's just no way. He, this is an injury that if it happens during the regular season, most guys are taking three to four weeks off. We saw it countless times. Mac Jones, Debo Samuel, even these guys that heal quickly from it still needed some time off to get close to 100%. So he's going to play. He's said so over and over again. There's no way you're taking him off that field. He would have played if it was broken. He, he, he was so mad when they made him go to the locker room. But, uh, yeah, this is definitely going to affect him. It already did in the second half of that game. Obviously, uh, after the injury, he did not have a passing attempt outside the pocket on 18 uh, passing attempts, whereas before the injury, 12 of his passing attempts, uh, six of the 12 were outside the pocket. So pocket Mahomes, he's – He's going to be dinged up, but a dinged up Mahomes is still scary. But you're right. I mean, this is the big story of the week because everyone's talking about, oh, legacy game. Mahomes has lost three in a row to Burrow. Saw Peter Schrager yesterday. How can you rank Mahomes ahead of Burrow if he loses four in a row? Well, I think the argument would start with uh, he was playing with a high angle sprain. I suppose, I you know, I think Ryan Tannehill was also in that high ankle sprain list uh, who also missed time just to, you know, throw more names onto the pile and reassure that, yeah, this is absolutely an injury that is tough to play with. The The thing that is so awe-inspiring every time you see Mahomes is just his ability to never get sacked. Uh, it is, if you're a fan of him, it's one of the coolest things ever. You never seem to lose yards on a huge takedown. If you're uh, rooting against him, it is maybe the most frustrating thing in the world to watch. Uh, Cincinnati's uniquely positioned in this regard because they're really strong in pass rush win rate. Uh, they've got two amazing edges in Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. However, 30 sacks on the season, fourth fewest in the league, 6.1 adjusted sack rate, fifth lowest in football. You wonder how that shakes out with like a 70 to 80% Mahomes. That escape ability is 
really limited by this injury, but you're already not really a defense that gets home and sacks off and you create pressure, but you don't really always finish the job. This might even the playing field a living a little bit for that Cincinnati front. Yeah, I don't necessarily think you need to sack Mahomes in order to curtail how effective he is, and especially if he's just throwing from inside the pocket. I think, I mean, we saw it with the Bengals this week where they only sacked Allen once, but he was under fire all game. You had the near fumble. It doesn't count as a sack or a fumble, but obviously the pressure got home on that one. They're just in his face, uh, and I think they can be in Mahomes' face too, even if they're not bringing him down. They can make him get the ball out quicker than he wants to. Uh, they can certainly keep him from extending plays, getting Kelsey to his you know second or third option within a route. These are, uh, I mean, this is this is huge. This is definitely going to affect the way Mahomes plays. Chad Henney, bless him, he did uh, did everything that was asked to him. Threw for all of 23 yards on that 98 yard touchdown drive. Uh, but if Chad Henney has to play at all during this game, I don't think you're feeling too good about it if you're the Chiefs. He handles business when he needs to, uh, which is the impressive thing about Henny. Uh, the fact that he's been able to do this for so long and really come up for the Chiefs in crucial moments. You remember the fourth down conversion that he picked up with his legs. Uh, you know, after nearly throwing a pick on that one drive he was in, leads a 12-play, 98-yard touchdown drive, like really comes in clutch when he needs to. I know a lot of that was on the back of Pacheco. Yeah, you're mostly Isaiah Pacheco led that touchdown drive with all hey, different. You gotta get those passes in there. You know, twenty what a third of those yards, quarter of those yards come from Henry. Quarter, yeah, huge. We will continue to monitor the Mahomes ankle situation. Jacks, one more job has been filled, uh, and for the first time in two years. Patriots have an offensive coordinator. Uh, I say that I say that because uh, uh, for payment re- reasons, uh, the New England Patriots did not actually name a coordinator last year because if Matt Patricia received an upgrade in title to offensive coordinator, uh, the Lions wouldn't have had to have paid his contract and New England would have had to pay him. Uh, but the Patriots <laughs> hired Bill O'Brien as offensive coordinator. A... Uh, Football specialist at Alabama. He rejoins the New England Patriots uh, after serving stints in the late aughts and early 2000s. Former Texans head coach and GM Jackson, a big acquisition for New England. At this point, Bill Belichick will only hire you if you have previously worked on his staff. Uh, if you used to play for the Patriots or you are one of his sons, shout out to Roger Sherman for that observation this week. But I think Bill O'Brien of all the former Patriots coach, I mean, he's got the deepest resume. He's had not only success as a head coach at the NFL level, collegiate level, uh, not a very good GM. I think we can say that uh, with confidence comes into Houston, trades DeAndre Hopkins Gets named the GM in January of 2020 and gets fired from Houston in October of 2020. So as long as you keep Bill O'Brien away from the GM office, uh, I think you're going to be in a good spot here. Bill O'Brien's offenses, so he only spent three seasons as the actual offensive coordinator of the Patriots like with the title. 09 through 11, they finished first, first, and fourth in offensive DVOA. So 
you can argue as much of that as you want is driven by Tom Brady, and I get it, but just somebody who has an experience leading top of the league offenses, anything to shape shape up that limp, tepid Patriots offense that we saw this past year. Mac Jones is reportedly excited to work with him. He's already uh, got some familiarity there because of the Alabama connections and has just heard good things about him. So got to like the move if you're Mac Jones, got to like the move if you're a Patriot or one of their fans. He was actually only offensive coordinator for one year, just in that 2011 season. But it's been 2007. Three years as play caller. Three years as play caller. Got it. It's been 2007 to 2011 with the Patriots. Took over as Penn State head coach immediately after uh, post-Paterno. Comes on to Houston. Spends two years in Alabama as their OC and quarterbacks coach. Jackson somehow has spent a combined uh, near decade between New England and Alabama. Surprisingly, zero rings to his name. Hit the weird windows of hit the weird windows of consistent playoff berth, but basically managed the entire New England transition from old era New England to new era New England. Uh, that team existed that like 2012, 2013 onward, uh, and then basically caught the transition year of Alabama just after the Tua hurts Matt Jones locker room. Matt Jones essentially had to uh, like review the offense and teach Bill O'Brien on his way out. <laughs> like it was a, it was a fascinating uh, just wrong place, wrong time for this guy, but you know, major contributors wherever he's been. Yeah. And to be clear, I mean, those Patriots teams, I mean, you think about 07, but you also think about the Super Bowl birth in 2011. Those were offensive-led teams. Those were like the weird middle period of the Patriots where they weren't winning rings and they were probably the most dominant offense in the year. We're also talking about a 2010 season where Tom Brady wins unanimous MVP. And that 2011 season, Gronk sets the touchdown record for tight ends, which uh, if you heard Gronk, in the past couple of weeks, talk about it. That's pretty much the one record that he doesn't want touched. So Bill O'Brien oversaw some prolific movement in the Patriots offense back in the day. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how they continue to fill up this team. They're in the market for some former, uh, former Bill O'Brien players. Uh, they're currently the odds on favor with the Baltimore Ravens to land DeAndre Hopkins pending any sort of trade be interesting to see how New England retools this offense in uh, this new era. Moving on, San Francisco 49ers defensive line Charles Omena was arrested Monday on a misdemeanor suspicion of domestic violence. Or sorry, uh, he was charged with misdemeanor domestic violence. According to a police report from the San Jose Police Department, uh, Amenahu's girlfriend had called the police uh, after Amenahu had pushed her onto the ground during an argument. Uh, according to the report, officers, quote, did not deserve, uh, observe any visual physical injuries to the survivor. She did, however, have a complaint of pain in her arm. The survivor declined any medical attention at the time officers were conducting the investigation. Uh, the 49ers have just released the statement uh, via ESPN. Uh, just as in simply not recently, we are aware of the matter involving Charles Amenahu 
and are in the process of gathering further information. Jackson, according to Shanahan on Monday, a man whose time uh, or ability to play uh, in next week's championship game uh, was already in uh, doubt. He was listed as day-to-day with an injury. However, he was considered potentially available to play. You have to imagine something like this may murk you the waters. Take the injury out of it. I don't think anyone's thinking about the injury anymore. I, there's, there's no way you can justify this guy playing while there's an active restraining order and pending charges with the DA's office. You're not playing that guy. And, I mean, frankly, we've been through this too many times in the NFL where it's like, oh, there's a domestic violence charge pending. You know, is his team going to take a chance on him? Is the next team going to take a chance on him? Look, a woman felt threatened enough that she called the police to, to get him away from her. And now there's a restraining order. I feel like that's enough information for us to say Charles who shouldn't be playing football until many steps are cleared. Many things are done to make wrongs right. I mean, right now, this guy shouldn't be anywhere near a football field. Uh, should be noted, uh, officers contacted who at the scene. Uh, he was willing to give a statement and was reportedly cooperative uh, with the officers. Uh, because of the reported injury uh, from the girlfriend saying that her uh, uh, that she had pain in her arm, uh, they were required to uh, serve him with an emergency restraining order, uh, book him in Santa Clara uh, Santa Clara County Main Jail for misdemeanor domestic violence. He has since posted bail and he is no longer in custody. Uh, however, the case will be submitted for possible charges and the investigation is ongoing, and we will keep you abreast of that as more things develop. Jackson, we've already hit on the one closing job uh, that is reasonably serviced between the last show and this show. We've got two new openings. A couple of defensive coordinators without jobs, a couple teams resetting the button on defense. Let's start in Minnesota, Jackson. Ed Donatel. Out. Hired under Kevin O'Connell's staff before the season. Was a Broncos defensive coordinator under head coach Vic Fangio. He also served under Fangio in San Francisco and Chicago. He's going to be the second defensive guy in two years uh, for Minnesota. Obviously, last head coach Greg Zimmer uh, was in charge of the Vikings defense there. Hasn't really improved for them. Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer, sorry. What did I say? Greg Zimmer? I don't know what I said. It's a Zimmer. Uh, Vikings. Vikings finished 27th in defensive DVOA, 28th in points, 31st in yards allowed. There were some nice performances in there. Uh, you know, Patrick Peterson had a resurgence season. But on the whole, uh, very, very rough year for the Vikings on the defensive front. Yeah, I... We say it all the time, but how did this team win 13 games? I have no clue, no earthly sense as to what went right all those weeks in a row where they were winning games uh, because nobody is surprised that they fired their defensive coordinator. You look at how they were shredded by a first-time playoff quarterback in Daniel Jones with a motley crew of receivers, one the main receiver in that game playing on an ankle that was so purple, it basically was wearing a Vikings uniform. Uh, and now you see the next week, <laughs> a 
the next week, that same offense gets completely shut down in Philadelphia. I mean, got to give the Eagles credit, but also got to say like, wow, how are the Vikings that bad on defense? And what's also funny about this whole situation, haven't heard any news about Vic Fangio getting interviewed for this job, but he's interviewing for other open defensive coordinator jobs like the one we're going to talk about in a second. So how wild would it be if it was like Donatel wasn't the guy for us, that three, four scheme, that pressure generation up front that dictates everything that needs to happen for our defense to be successful. That didn't work, but let's bring in the other guy. Let's bring in the grandfather of that scheme to see if it can work for us. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, it, it's the old, uh, Michael Irvin, we're losing recipes bit. Like don't hire the daughter, hire the mother. Like actually get the person who knows the scheme. It's kind of like, the reverse of the uh, of what happened in Tennessee with Arthur Smith and Todd Danik. Arthur Smith, rev- not revolutionary offense, but really <laughs> strong offense, successor to the floor, has a bunch of his wrinkles that he likes to add. Their top five defense two years straight. He takes a head coaching job. That position's filled by Downing. Downing basically tries to run the same thing, but doesn't necessarily have the wrinkles to do it, starts losing the personnel to do it as well. And all of a sudden, it doesn't look like the same. If you get the original guy to do it, if you get Fangio, the guy who's put, uh, like, really thrown a wrench into a lot of, uh, you know, modern NFL offenses and whose ripple effects have caused one of the lowest passing scoring seasons since, like, the 1940s. Uh, yeah, I think... Maybe he Donatello was just the wrong guy to uh, do the job. Maybe you just go, you're looking to run a Fangio style defense. Maybe just go to Fangio. Go for it. What do you have to lose? You're not going to be worse than 27th next year with all the same guys pretty much coming back. There's five slots lower, Jackson. You never know. <laughs> Talk about those five teams. <laughs> Let's move on. Second opening. Mike McDaniel will have his first opportunity to hire a defensive coordinator because Dolphins have fired defensive coordinator Josh Boyer along with three other defensive assistants. Kind of an interesting development uh, following the uh, firing of head coach Brian Flores. Mike McDaniel elected to keep the current defensive coordinator and most, if not all, of the entire defensive staff So Boyer's been there three years despite the new regime being there for one. Uh, Also fired in the mix were safeties coach Steve Gregory, outside linebackers coach Ty McKenzie, and linebackers coach Steve Ferenc. Dolphins, about league average, 15th in defensive DVOA, but that's really existing on both extremes. Top five in defensive rushing DVOA, 25th in defensive passing DVOA. 24th in points allowed, 24th and third down percentage. Really did not generate many turnovers, Jackson. Given this personnel, even league average feels underachieving for this Dolphins defense. And I also think it was the whole, like, okay, Mike McDaniel got one year to kind of take the reins. Continuity's sake, you know, not bringing in a full new regime, feeling like the team was close to contending as it was and just needing, you know, new new spark on offense. But it became clear that the defense, especially from a passing standpoint, uh, was not up to snuff. Now, you did lose 
key starters to injury throughout the year, including mainly three in the secondary, Byron Jones, Nick Needham, Brandon Jones. Uh, you expect to get all those guys back next year. You also had the emergence of an undrafted rookie, Cater Kohu, who ended up second in the league in the uh, total point save behind a guy named Sauce Gardner, who, spoiler alert, we'll talk about in a pretty positive context later. So I think this was really a case of like, all right, this is your team now, Mike McDaniel. You know, you shape the roster the way you want. Maybe you go poach some guys from San Francisco that you know already. But, you know, next year, this is on you. The success of the defense is on you as opposed to just the offense. What's just surprising to me, I guess, is just that even with the injuries that you mentioned uh, to Byron Jones and the like, Brandon Jones as well, uh, like the skill, like the skill depth on this defense is still really strong. You pick up Bradley Chubb midway through the year and you add him to a roster of Jalen Phillips, Christian Wilkins, Emmanuel Ogba when he was healthy. I know he ended up on IR as well. But you've got a like a crazy front seven in there that should have performed much better than it actually ended up performing. And then you get to the secondary, like Xavier Howard, Javon Holland at safety has been awesome. You you think you'd get a lot better pass rush? They rank twentieth on the year with a six point eight percent adjusted sack rate. You think you'd they'd rank a lot better uh, in passes defense? Do you think they'd rank a lot better than twenty fifth in defensive passing DVOA? I understand that Boyer had a really strong defense and a unique defensive uh, profile that was, you know, had some cover zero in there, had some heavy blitz features, had a lot of deception in there where you, they'd show six rush three and drop three into coverage and really throw wrinkles into teams uh, passing offenses. But you'd really think it was a lot better than bottom 10 passing off uh, passing defense on all fronts. Yeah. And again, like it's not necessarily that this defense was bottoming out. I don't think it needed to, to justify this. Clearly, like you said, given the personnel, it needed to be better anyway, but also just the fact that like, all right, Mike McDaniel, like, this is your organization. This is your vision now. You shape this team the way you want it to. You take us deeper than the first round of the playoffs next year. I feel like that's kind of the, all right, first year training wheels are off. Defense wasn't acceptable, uh, you know. And I, I imagine they sort of gave him a choice. It was like, you need to have a better defense next year. Do you want to keep the current regime or do you want to bring in your own new one? So if that was the case, I imagine McDaniel was like, I want to go out and find my guys. Well, guy who's not losing his job, Jackson. Mm. Bad way to phrase it, but a good transition nonetheless. Mike McCarthy, after what was described as a sickening loss uh, by Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, he was asked about uh, the potential uh, job security of head coach Mike McCarthy. Quote from... uh, New York Post via John Machota. No, 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 not at all. Jones told reporters when asked if the loss would have any impact on McCarthy's job status. McCarthy 59 is two years remaining on the five-year contract he signed in 2020. Jackson, I find this 
I'll be I'll be extremely generous and say interesting. But you know I have worse words. You know, this is a tough one because it's I've heard it described in a way that I kind of like is McCarthy hasn't been bad enough to fire. Dak Prescott hasn't been bad enough to get rid of, but we've seen over the past couple of years that the combo of McCarthy and Dak is just like not there. It's not enough for this Cowboys team to achieve the results they want to, or that at this point they are being demanded uh, by ownership, by their fan base. I can't 27 years without a conference championship appearance for any organization, but especially for this organization, which built a reputation on championships is staggering. It's mind blowing. Uh, and, you know, second half decision making by McCarthy doesn't really help. You know, he's he's built up this reputation before he gets the Dallas job as, you know, scared on fourth down. If you think about that NFC championship against Seattle, where he had four fourth and ones, he didn't try a single one of them this game. Well, let's back up even further. He comes in and he's like, well, I've changed. I was I was on PFF all offseason long. I know analytics now. Uh, and then seems like, you know, he's, he's adapting to a lot of this. He's trying fourth downs. In this game, they start off two of two on fourth down. Then they get to fourth and five on the Niners' 40-yard line in a tie game, middle of the fourth quarter. Would be a 58-yard field goal, but understandable. You don't want to let Brett Maher with the yips try a 58-yard field goal. Mike McCarthy just go for the fourth down. Instead, he punts it away. Niners end up taking the lead later in the quarter. Never sees the lead again. Leads to the final drive where uh, Dalton Schultz just can't figure out how to play football. And then you get the worst uh, fumble ruski play you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, And that's just all adds up to a really embarrassing loss that makes it tough to swallow, I would imagine for a lot of Cowboys fans to be like, oh yeah, we're just running it back next year and expecting better results. But that falls on McCarthy's shoulders. No, like, I really think, I, I mean, this is aside from the fact that uh, according to NFLpenalties.com, Dallas is 119 penalties against and 981 yards against. We're both leaders in the NFL, but it also counts the Cowboys as 19 games. Uh, so that's a volume uh, in penalties. Still egregious, but just a volume thing I have to point out. But that last drive is so emblematic of like a discipline thing. And discipline comes down to head coach. When you've got, uh, it was a Cavante Turpin, uh, fair catching a ball at the six-yard line uh, instead of trying to let it bounce in. When you've got uh, Dalton Schultz not trying to plow forward for extra yards and fight for extra yards, just like going out of bounds backwards and letting the clock run, or just not having the care enough to like really do the due diligence of dragging your foot across certain play call. Like that last play call aside, I still don't believe that they ever practiced it once. Like if you run, if you you run that on air, because the second you line up a defense against it. If you don't see someone just bull rushing Ezekiel Elliott and putting him halfway toward Austin, like you're not really running it. Like you'd see that the first thing you ever run it. So I like for me, it's just a ton of discipline things. And there's certain issues you have with scheme where you could say like, oh, maybe uh, post day ball, like 
the Bills offense doesn't properly utilize Gabe Davis. That's one thing. But when it comes down to like hard regimented, like cut and dry, any coach can do this. It doesn't matter about scheme. doesn't matter about play calling. If it's just down to like, are you doing the right thing or the wrong thing? And you're a year three coach. If you don't have like, I'm not saying let's let's do the do your job thing with the New England Patriots. I'm not saying you got to be Bill Belichick to have a disciplined football team. That just seems like one of the most simple execution things you could possibly ask of your team. And I don't know how it doesn't cost McCarthy his job. <laughs> I'm a little bit more passionate and adamant about this than others. But I really think it's like this is an unserious franchise if you don't. If you see those discipline errors, if you see those like all those mistakes compile into one on an already low chance to get that, you know, game winning drive, but there's still time on the clock. You still like have to fight like you're doing it. If in your not darkest moment, but like in your most pressure life on the line moment, and you see execution mistake after execution mistake after undisciplined decision, there's no way that guy can keep his job. Yeah. And let's, let's talk about the other side of the ball. Uh, because we talked about the special teams errors. We talked about the offensive errors. On that go-ahead drive by San Francisco, you have, first of all, they start the drive at their own nine-yard line, immediately neutral zone infraction. First play of the drive, okay, let's put them out ahead of the chains. We had them pinned. We had them deep in their own end. Nope, you know, now it's first and five. Everyone's breathing easier. They pick up a first down on the next play. Everyone's going to think of that drive and remember the George Kittle catch for 30 yards. Trevon Diggs just like sidesteps him, doesn't hit him as the ball is like bouncing off his face mask. I'm going to hold you there. That is absolutely more an athletic achievement by George Kittle than it is Trevon Diggs. Trevon Diggs, I still don't know. He wrote himself at Kittle, and I'm shocked that he was able to duck out of the way because that is a full shoulder tuck underneath where he avoids contact with Diggs. I don't I think that's like... shoulder tuck. I still don't know how Diggs didn't make any sort of contact with him. I get how the shoulder tuck may have avoided like a big hit, but it's still just like, how did he whiff? Like his, his head was just down. He wasn't looking at Kittle. That's the only conclusion I've come I to. I agree with that. I'll regardless, that. regardless, third and eight later in the drive at the Dallas 20-yard line, Brock Purdy sacked for negative six yards. No defensive holding call it back first down at the 15 next play defensive holding on a rushing play. And I was like, how the heck did defensive holding get called? And then I saw the replay. Oh no, definitely defensive holding on Hankins. Like not even a question. And now all of a sudden it's first and goal at the 10, two plays later touchdown. What are we doing out there? There's no discipline. That penalty reputation is deserved. You can't be, you can't be a, a good, serious competitive football team. And make mistakes like that. Not just like make mistakes like that. Make mistakes like that with consistency. Doing it so often that it's just a, yeah, of course they made that. Like, it's a big problem. And usually, that result in firing. Yeah. What decision well, they, you go, sorry. Well, I was going to say, you're heading into next season, maybe with some certainty at the head coaching position. What you don't know about is who's coming back to the team. And there's one guy who's about to hit free agency who got hurt in this game and has already undergone surgery. So why don't we talk about him? A man after my own transitions, Tony Pollard, broken leg, suffered the injury, 124 left in the second corner, rolled up on left fibula injury. Also doubly suffered a high ankle sprain, 
which he's already undergone tightrope surgery for, that's a nightmare. Also. Like that, like go on the two for one's insult to injury there. Cause <laughs> high ankle and uh, high ankle sprains are, you know, bears enough to recover from. You don't need that on top of a broken leg. Regardless, the recovery timetable is three months. Pollard is a pending free agent. Uh, Cowboys don't have a ton of cap, Jackson. He is, uh, not to make a bad pun, but they are relatively hamstrung by their current financial situation. Ezekiel Elliott has talked about taking less money. This really throws a wrench into Dallas. Not only Dallas, (coughs) excuse me, not only Dallas's uh, off-season plans, but also Pollard's job prospects, which is really frustrating because he has been uh, pretty fantastic in his, uh, especially in the last few years, but his first uh, rookie tenure in Dallas. Yeah, and this was kind of the first year that he put serious miles on him as well. I mean, he was always the second back. He was the second back that everyone thought should be the first back for a while there. But when you think about guys who are up as free agents right now, I mean, can compare him to a Saquon Barkley or even a Miles Sanders, you know, the amount of wear and tear that guys who have started consistently early in their careers have taken. Pollard really was only a starter this year, and even for a starter – got less of the share of the carries than you would expect uh, and still had his first thousand yard rushing season Got 12 touchdowns, which was more than he had in his first three years combined. Uh, you put that pro bowl on the resume, like you were setting yourself up for a nice little paycheck. And I still think he'll get it, but it definitely does make teams maybe a little bit hesitant. You want to see him, you know, work out after the injury, passive physical Carlos Correa stuff, all that. Uh, so hopefully Pollard heals up quick. I'm really, I'm really curious to see how this injury will affect Dallas's offseason plans, because I feel like the biggest need for this Dallas team is a second wide receiver, is a separator, is someone who has speed. And I feel like what they're going to do is re-up on Schultz's contract, try and get another running back in the building, and like grab a DT. Like their main number one need has to be wide receiver and i just hope they take the right lessons from this and don't let like not could call him a wounded deer uh but like you know tony pollard's price tag comes down when he breaks his leg the one guy he'd have the closest relationship with is dallas so there's a better chance now than later uh, or now or in a different world where he doesn't get injured uh that dallas would bring him back uh They've just got to make the right decisions going forward. They've got to make some tough decisions, but they've just got to make the right ones. Because if you're staying on this course, you've got to adjust to the roster that you have. If you're not willing to take a step back, the steps you take now are crucial in separating you from being a mediocre franchise with a midseason head coach firing or a actual Super Bowl contender. Yeah, and you talked about how it affects uh, the market for Pollard and how it affects the Cowboys' offseason plans. How does it affect the running back market? We talked about a couple of the guys who are already free agents. How about this list, Kale? Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Pollard, Sanders, David Montgomery, Jamal Williams, Kareem Hunt, Damian Harris, Devin Singletary, and Dante Foreman. I mean, that is – that's a long list, and – You know, there's teams with cap space. There's teams that have running backs, teams that don't. 
And we've had this whole discourse for the past five years, like don't draft running backs high, don't pay running backs that much. So how does that work out when there's this many quality running backs available, leaving this many teams without a bell cow back in the building? I mean, why? I, you know what this is all leading up to, Jackson? They're going to somehow bring back Tony Pollard and draft B.J. Rob, or B. John Robinson. <laughs> like, they're going to do both. And it's it's going to be our fault. We're going to have seen this coming, and we we won't have tried to stop it. And I think we should take some ownership on that. Sure, yeah, I'll take ownership. It's my fault, Kel. <laughs> Let's move on to another team in the NFC East who has some very interesting free agent decisions to make. One seems to be relatively in place. New York Giants general manager, Joe Shone. Joe Shane? Joe Shane. 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 Giants' plan is to move ahead with Daniel Jones as their quarterback. Shane specifically said, we'd like Daniel to be here. He said it. There's a business side to it, but we feel like Daniel played well this season. He's done everything we've asked him to. We would like to have Daniel Jones back. About as definitive as you can get, Jackson, and for good reason. This is an up year for Daniel Jones. We'd always kind of seen a little bit of potential of him as a dual-threat quarterback. Never really manifested under the multiple, multiple offensive schemes and coordinators that he had to work with. But did have a solid year. 1.1% offensive passing DVOA is 20th in the league, and that comes while mostly throwing to his wide receivers 3, 4, and 6 probably most of the year. That 1.1 mark does stand as the first time he has ever gotten a positive offensive passing DVOA. It should also be noted that his 396 DYAR is a new milestone by 384 DYAR. So that's a big difference. In addition, did perform relatively well as a rusher. Not as good in VOA, but when you adjust for a part, oh, no, that's Davis Webb. Oh, God, I pulled up Davis Webb's numbers and not Daniel Jones. Oh no! Uh, I put. I looked at his passing numbers. I got got. No, he did awesome as a rusher. Twenty three point six percent rushing DVOA is eighth in DVOA, third in DYAR. An awesome dual threat quarterback. Finally, we get to see him with a legitimate coordinator that isn't Joe Judge or Jason Garrett. We get to see him with Brian Dayball in an awesome system. If we're getting listen, Jackson, I've talked for a little bit. And I will pass it to you. I am a little, like, I like it. I just don't want to totally buy in. Because, like, maybe this is all Dable. Because he did it for Josh Allen. Josh Allen's taken, you know, a little step back. Not major steps back, but there are certain aspects of his game that have taken steps back his Actually, he's a little bit down. He's starting to make a little bit more careless throws than he's had in the last two years since his big leap in his third year. Uh, is Brian Dayball a wizard? 
authority I mean, on yeah. that. Well, that's that's the case with with most quarterbacks. Like most quarterbacks need the right system in around them to be successful, which is why I always get so annoyed at the whole system quarterback discourse. Uh, it's just like a, a quarterback is the system, but it also is contingent on you putting good enough talent and good enough coaching around them in order for them to become the system. You know, it's all, it's all a harmonious thing. And Daniel Jones had no kind of system around him. Plus epic amounts of turnover at head coaching and coordinator positions. I think the big thing for me this year as to why I was, you know, pleasantly surprised about pretty much everything with Jones is uh, the turnover stats are just way down. Uh, only five interceptions this year, only three lost fumbles, uh, 22 total touchdowns, like the TD to turnover ratio being almost three to one. Like that's such leaps and bounds ahead of what he was doing when he was setting fumble records his first two years. I didn't pull the exact stats, but I just remember being in a text group with my friends, just being like, okay, he's now at 42 fumbles through 20 games, like epic stuff early in his career. So I think, I think he's at a point where you can still continue to see growth and yeah, I mean, it's being pointed out to us by Hitchhiker's Pie in the comment section right now. He doesn't have great weapons around him still, so the ceiling is conceivably still higher. Put better talent around Daniel Jones next year, and you can continue to grow with this offense. Put a better line in front of him as well. You can talk about Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James stepping up into major roles they wouldn't necessarily have had an opportunity to without the injuries that were dealt to that offensive roster. But Giants, 24th in, in adjusted sack rate by our measures, 29th by ESPN's pass block win rate. Like there's, a lot of, there's a lot to go off here. If you just continue to give him more time, Dable's going to continue to really dial up some awesome stuff in the passing game. And you just give this guy more time, more space to run. You had maybe one, two more, like you had a free agent wide receiver, you draft a guy as well. You're cooking with gas now. There is a lot of upward mobility for this Giants team. There's still a lot to correct in this roster as a whole. This isn't the perfect (laughs) team, and they seriously overachieved. But, like, this is the fun – like, this is a fun canvas for, like, what most people would do in, like, a Madden rebuild. Like, you can really bring the Giants back with this current structure. And I'm excited for Joe Shane and Brian Dable to kind of do some real-life Madden stuff and trying to make yeah. this an awesome yeah. roster. Hey, you're right about that last part, because I shouted out Derek Klassen on this show last week. Derek, you were right, man. No linebackers on that Giants team no. whatsoever. Just Dallas Goddard just slice, slice, running right through him. Uh, didn't get to his 100-yard target that I set uh, for Dallas Goddard to make me wear Philly gear on this week's show but only because they were running the ball so quickly down their throat that they didn't need to throw to any receiver for 100 yards. But Goddard was getting absolutely anything he wanted against that very thin Giants linebackers group. Pivoting to Brian Dable's former pet project, doing some due diligence from a story that was pretty major during the season, Jackson. Josh Allen's elbow will not need any sort of off-season repairs. We think. We think. Hopefully. Russian recovery is going to be really good for it. Allen said himself, quote, 
I mean, there was a period, obviously, right after for a few weeks where it was pretty bothersome. But again, if it didn't affect me all that much, just kind of felt like maybe I was trying to throw a little differently mechanically, had to change a few things and got away a little bit from how I'm used to throwing the ball. Suffered that injury fourth quarter of week 10 in a loss to the New York Jets. Did not miss any time. Still finished top five in passing DYAR. Was a league leader in rushing DYAR. Uh, still a fantastic quarterback, but you saw some of that sloppy play come back into the fold. Whether it's a mechanics adjustment, whether it was some other mental things. You saw a little step back in his game, Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, look, I'm not going to blame the injury for this at all, but it's the type of thing where you definitely don't want this carrying over into next season. And the reason, too, that I said, like, as far as we know, is because I, as a Red Sox fan, know that you can go into an offseason expecting that somebody is not going to need any procedures on their elbow and then, oh, all of a sudden, Trevor Story tries to play catch in December right before Christmas. Ooh, needs an internal bracing of the UCL, might miss the whole season. So, I mean, I'm not expecting that anything like that happens to Josh Allen, but it is something that just goes to show that as long as this is still a concern, that's just going to be one more doubt hanging over the Bills' heads. And it's not like they don't have other things to worry about coming out of this game. You talked at length during the Cowboys discussion about how they don't have a two receiver. I think this was a hugely disappointing year for Gabe Davis. Uh, You haven't necessarily seen Dawson Knox develop into a premier tight end. You haven't seen any running backs really step in and own that role on this team, especially in short yardage situations. So Allen at some point felt like he really had to be the entire Bills offense. And that's what leads to some of this hero ball mentality and a lot of the mistakes that you talked about especially throughout the course of the second half and the playoffs. I Jackson, I think there's going to be a lot of reevaluation within this Bills organization. We start on that front with the Stefan Diggs stuff. There's some shots in the game of him yelling at Josh Allen. There's some talk from Isaiah McKenzie after the game, uh, basically saying, how does this happen every year? On Stefan Diggs' end, uh, just how every year. Diggs then goes to Twitter, says, want me to be okay with losing? Nah. Want me to be okay with our level of play when it's not up to the standard? Nah. It's easy to criticize my reaction more than the result. A very valid argument to be made. A little less valid. Kind of an argument that he brought up on his own, though. <laughs> it's like, I agree. I'm going to say these things, and oh, and now you're criticizing me for saying these things? Well, the result is more like what we need to be criticizing. I am in some agreement. I do think it's just how you air your grievances and the care you do and do it. The one that's a little less called for, <laughs> Bill's GM, Brandon Bean. Took to the press conference today and talked about uh, potentially retooling uh, their roster. The one pull quote that a lot of companies have seemed to run with, a lot of people have seemed to run with, I don't want to suck bad enough to have to get Jamar Chase. (laughs) Which, it worked for him. (laughs) It's working pretty well. This team doesn't need Jamar Chase. It needs... You know, more a T. Higgins or even a Tyler Boyd in that regard. 
But even just the comment on its own by Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean, who, mind you, did not, did not shoot on the sideline or do much for this game outside of construct the roster. Uh, it'll, it's, it's an interesting reaction, that's for sure. But it, it, it is indicative of a fact that, one, the Bills will be retooling in some regard, and two, <laughs> this loss has really affected a lot of people in the organization. Yeah, you know why? Because the last couple times it was like, all right, 2020, we lost to the Chiefs, but we made our first AFC championship in forever. We're back on the way up. Last year, you lose that game, but you feel like you maybe were the best team in the playoffs, period. Josh Allen was playing the best of anyone in the playoffs. This year, you just got pounded. And on your home field, in an environment that should be like, you know, your environment, but they they've kind of built this team to be like a dome team, even though they're an outdoorsy team. Like they, they really have this, like, I don't want to call it like dependent, but it's, it's kind of a deep ball offense. You saw it on that third and two saw it on that third and two, where it was like the the whole field should be open, but you're just throwing this like 50, 50 ball up the left sideline to Gabe Davis. Who's blanketed by Cam Taylor Britt. And all of a sudden you're punting and your season's basically over. Like the Bengals, were better built for that style of game than the Bills were. And I think that's, again, where the whole, like, off-season manifesto comes in. Like, how are you going to make your team more built for, you know, playoff, hard-nosed, cold-weather football? I mean, it happened also in the Miami game. You look at that one series early on, first and ten, you go go ball to Gabe Davis. You then don't sub Gabe Davis out. Kind of run a little bit of hurry up on second down then goes straight back to a uh, Gabe Davis go ball on nearly the exact same concept. And now he's gassed and he definitely can't get it. If he didn't get it the first time, I, I think there was, I listen, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I think there was a lot of mismanagement with Gabe Davis this year. That's a separate conversation. I think he'd still really be good on this roster, but we'll see how this kind of progresses. The bills have a lot of rebuilding to do. And I think it kind of starts at the wide receiver position. I think, both Diggs' comments and Bean's comments sort of allude to that in a way. They've got a lot of threes on that roster. They don't have a wide receiver, too. Like four threes, no twos. Jackson, we are in the midst of preparing for the conference championship game, but we've already got some Super Bowl news. The stripes are out, and we've got the roster. Can you tell me a little bit about this Carl Sheffers led group. Uh, well, it's obviously led by a man named Carl Sheffers and uh, public opinion surrounding Carl Sheffers in the wake of this announcement, not high. Uh, and if in particular, if you are a Kansas city fan and you hear the name Carl Sheffers, you are very upset. Carl Sheffers, of course, officiated that Bucks chief super bowl in Tampa two years ago, the first ever super bowl, uh, hosted in a city featuring one of the two teams playing uh, and 11 of the 15 penalties in that game went against the Chiefs for 120 penalty yards. Many other factors that contributed to the Chiefs losing, but certainly they felt like it was one-sided there. Cheffers crew also ranked first in the NFL in penalties per game this year, so you're expecting a lot of whistles, and it shouldn't be a factor in a neutral site Super Bowl, but will be worth noting that of all those penalties his crew was calling, a whopping 69% of the DPI slash holding calls went against the road team, 
and 57% of all penalties went against the road team. So this is a, uh, a whistle happy crew. And uh, it's the same crew that did Buffalo Cincinnati this past weekend. And a lot of people were commenting how that game was kind of one-sided in the bills favor. So very interesting choice here by the NFL uh, seeming to indicate that Carl Jeffers is the best they have to offer, which people do not seem to be in agreement with for the most part. Very interesting by ESPN to constantly do autoplay on their videos. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I'm really interested in the penalty side of this because at least if you're going back to that Super Bowl, there's a lot of chippy, like, it's a lot of chippy stuff by this defense. You see the first three penalties called against the Chiefs. Defensive holding, unnecessary roughness, uh, some offensive holding calls. I'd imagine a lot of these are offensive holding calls. If just, but like, when I when you first said the Chevers thing and I start looking back, I immediately assume that a lot of these would be offensive holding calls. Because the first thing you remember in that game is just how rampant the Buccaneers' defensive line ran through the Chiefs' offensive line. But you look at a lot of these, it's a ton of DPI. It's a ton of unnecessary roughness. It's a, it's a lot of, like, it's a lot against the Chiefs' defense. There's some, like, there's some simple, like, holding and false starting here. But they make up. Two or three of the 11 penalties called against the Chiefs, it's a lot of defensive stuff. It'll hmm. be, it wasn't what I expected at all going through that game line. It's, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Cause this is a much, I wouldn't call it more matured because that's the wrong word, but it's like, it's a better and more contained Chiefs defense. They don't have the same sort of, penalty problems that they used to chiefs are high in penalties but only have 90 against them this year so it's not yeah. the worst they're net positive on the year by 23 or 13 according to nfl penalties it'll be really interesting to see if they get there how the Jeffers crowd affects them but that's let's, the handicappers out there the guys looking to just get that extra edge the ref crew is the biggest x factor you can have in the super bowl game yeah, maybe I better not say anything else uh, because, <laughs> because I'm in a very tinfoil hat mood regarding officiating right now coming off a Syracuse basketball game last night uh, where UNC shot 23 free throws and Syracuse shot three. And uh, the game ended on an offensive foul call that was reviewed and changed to a flagrant offensive foul call that ended the game on free throws. So maybe I'm just a little too high and mighty about officiating being bad right now, but there's some pretty damning Carl, uh, Carl Jeffers statistics if you keep looking for them. Well, Jackson, let's take our tinfoil hats off mm. and let's put our NFL honors hats on. Mm. Can I just say one other Super Bowl thing real quick? Go for it. Uh, they did announce the performers, and we didn't put a, uh, a slate in it for our show, but we knew Rihanna was doing the halftime show. Uh, now we have Chris Stapleton doing the national anthem. Uh, Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, who I'm not as familiar with, doing the rendition of America the Beautiful, uh, and then lift every voice and sing from Emmy-winning actor Cheryl, Cheryl Lee Ralph, who people are probably familiar with from Abbott Elementary. So there's good Super Bowl news coming out, too, and 
I mean, boy, we're excited to hear Stapleton do the national anthem. His voice is crazy. Hell yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, I'm, just pumped. I'm just pumped for Rihanna comeback. Uh, not putting out music since anti is a crime. And she should put out a new album. Uh, even though she's mm. a billionaire now and doesn't need to. <laughs> I'd like it personally. Yeah. I'd like if she can attribute to Stephen A. Smith in this concert. Just like no, really, make, really no making him actively grovel in the back of a car and apologize because of her stands. Uh, no, that's base. That rules. Uh, yeah. Keep doing that. Uh, Jackson, we do have awards, though, that we have to talk about, uh, that we should talk about. Uh, we've got the full list. ESPN, AP, released them. I think they cut – am I right that they cut some of these a little short? I think Coach of the Year has five bids. I saw five for Coach of the Year, too, and then in the story I only saw three. And so I'm just going to treat it as like, yeah, I don't think Sean McDermott is winning Coach of the Year, so I don't necessarily need to include him in my list of nominees. But the odds-on favorite Nick Sirianni was also in that list. So let's just go through. Okay, yeah, weird. NFL MVP, Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, Bengals, Joe Burrow, Jalen Ertz for the Eagles, Justin Jefferson for the Vikings, and Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. We won't go through each of these in this fashion, but the big ones we kind of have to, right? This conversation, I personally lean uh, uh, Mahomes at the Chiefs. I understand the Hurts argument, and I see them both equally. I think it's a two-dog race. Very happy that Jefferson made the cut in this case. Uh, he'll probably take home offensive player of the year, but hats off to him for at least cracking, cracking the top five. Yeah. Good on you, pal. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, I think the only two names relevant in the discussion slash betting market are Mahomes and Hertz. And I think I I'm in complete agreement that I was, I was voting for Mahomes even before Hertz missed two games and that's no shot to Hurts whatsoever. I think he's been a phenomenal this year, but you just look at like some of the volume stats with Mahomes. Okay. The only 500 yard passer or 5,000 yard passer, the only 5,000 yard passer ever to also run for 300 yards, uh, just lapping the entire league in you know physical thrown touchdowns, which I feel like has almost become an underrated stat. Uh, he's lapping the league in our stats, DYAR in particular, like just the volume there. I think it has to be him. And I would have, I would have leaned that way even before Hertz ended up missing time. Even with Hertz missing time, like I think he could, like if they really did offensive player of the year as the best offensive player and not, you know, best non-quarterback skill position player, I think Hertz would have a shot at Opoy. But I kind of think he does. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's just Jefferson's know. to win. I I think it is because of how they typically vote on it. But there are years where they've gone two quarterbacks. So I could see it. But it would be interesting. Let's go to that. You know, we've got offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. Defensive player of the year, if you, if you have any thoughts, express them. Otherwise, I think we go right to coach of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's down to Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa. And I think the way Nick Bosa came on in the second half of the season and, uh, you know, ends up with – crazy pressure and sack numbers that you know even surpassed his lofty standards i think it has to be him okay we 
did an unaffiliated preseason podcast where we did uh, over-unders on prop bets, and I took the over on Nick Bosa sacks at 11 and a half. I, I've been laughing my way to the bank on that one. That's like one of the few things that I'm like, okay, yeah, you nailed it, Jackson. Good job. Hats off to you, pal. Yeah. Coach of the Year. The full list of five that NFL Network has run, in addition to uh, other sites online, uh, includes two more names, so we'll go with those. The, list, uh, the names listed here, New York Giants, Brian Dable, Jacksonville Jaguars, Doug Peterson, 49ers, Kyle Shanahan. In addition, they have Bills head coach Sean McDermott and Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni. So they just left out the two one seeds for some reason. Uh, actually, the Bills weren't a one seed. I shouldn't have said that. No, they weren't. But who do you have coach of the year here? Uh, it's it's again two horse race for me. I I think if there's any robbed people on this list, it might be Dan Campbell. But I think you solidify that if you make the playoffs. Yeah. So I get that you got the caveat, and not all five of these guys are playoff head coaches. Depends which direction you want to go. By far uh, the most impressive uh, turnaround of a team in the New York Giants with Brian Dable, or by far uh, the most impressive coaching feat of the year in Kyle Shanahan creating a quarterbackless offense. Yeah, so I mean, we did a show two weeks ago where we both kind of agreed that it was Dable's to lose, uh, and I'm not going to like fully hedge here because uh, I think the voters are still going to give it to Dable, but – I've kind of taken a little time to sit back and think about this one. And did you know the Giants went three, six, and one in their last 10 games? Like just just putting that out there. You know, like they got off to a really hot start, playing not very good teams and beating them by small margins, getting comeback wins in fairly lucky fashion. You think about the aborted snap in the Baltimore game. So Abel did a phenomenal job all year, and I won't take away any credit from him, but I think the mid-season feat of building a quarterback-proof offense leads me to kind of say that at this point, after I've had lots of time to digest it, I, I think I'd vote for Shanahan. I think it's the most impressive body of work. But I also think the Giants so wholly overperformed expectations. Even when their win total was, you know, I think it was seven and a half. Going into the year, even then, high? yeah, it was it was that high because they leveraged the uh, they leveraged the schedule, so it was like still mm -hmm. already pretty high to begin with. But even still, like given the injuries that this team suffered all year, they went from everything to like losing Sterling Shepard week three to like in their bye week losing Xavier McKinney to like an ATV accident in Cancun or something. Or I think it was Costa Rica, but that happened. Like you still, you still get a nine, a nine win Giants team to a comfortable six seed and pick up a playoff win. I know this is a regular season award, and there's a cutoff that you know playoff implications shouldn't have too much of a sway in things. But I still think that there's something to be said about that, especially beating that Vikings team. It matters to me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's a regular season award, so kind of take that stuff out of it. Uh, and I get that I didn't by saying three, six, and one in the final 10 games, but hey, it'd be two, five, and one if not, so not much better. Uh, I think that just the way I look at it personally, I'm the most impressed by the fact that Brock Purdy 
is a friggin' rookie of the year nominee <laughs> after playing five and a half regular season games. And I don't think any of us believe that Brock Purdy is this like special, special talent. I think we have to put all of that, this entire win, win streak on Shanahan for the job he's done to assemble this like offensive weaponry, but also turn it into something that can function with anyone at the quarterback position. Cause I don't think there's many coaches that can do that. Yes. I am still fat. Like it's one of those things where it's like you lose, you lose Trey Lance and go to Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like, all right, yeah, this is what was established. You lose Garoppolo and go to Purdy. It's like, Oh, you're, you're not missing a beat. Purdy continues to do well. It's like, oh, you don't need a real quarterback to run the <laughs> no. offense. You need a guy that can complete some tight window throws and hit the middle of the field and occasionally stretch. And that's all you really need. I mean, Jackson, we're, talking about, we're talking about them potentially bringing him back as the starter next year. Oh, I could see it. I could see it no problem. I, like they might. And that would be insane because there's like no single trait that you can point to with him that's like, oh, yeah, that's that's a a guy that can lead you to a Super Bowl, But when you have Kyle Shanahan and when you have this kind of offensive firepower around him, yeah, yeah, he can lead you to a Super Bowl. And it's crazy to say, but we're in the process of seeing it. Best of the rest. Let's just do these all rapid fire. Comeback player of the year. Got Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and Geno Smith. Two of those guys are coming back from injury. One of those guys is just coming back to starting <laughs> after, after not starting for eight years despite maybe having the best resume of the three, potentially uh, the rookies of the year, offensively Brock Purdy, Garrett Wilson, Kenneth Walker, the third defensively Tariq Woolen, sauce Gardner and Aiden Hutchinson. The jets would be the first team since I believe the Panthers in 2011 to double dip on offensive and defensive rookies of the year. What a pool uh, there, that, by the way. What a, what a squad. That was uh, Christian McCaffrey and Luke Keekley, I believe. It Cam was either, Cam either Cam Newton, or, uh, it was. I don't know if it was Cam or Christian. Did Christian was still, Christian was in high school in 2011, I believe. Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Assistant to the year, Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, Shane Steichen. Offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles, D'Amico Ryan's the hottest head coaching candidate out right now, and 49ers defensive coordinator. Anything on any that I listed? I mean, that's my favorite award, the one you just listed there, because I love all three of those guys and think they've done such a good job this year. Uh, and before Ben Johnson took his name out of the running, I, I believe I did say at one point that those were my top three head coach candidates uh so love that it's down to the three of them for that award like that just really validates what i i feel like i've been saying about assistant coaches in the league uh and then i think the jets sweep the rookies of the year and i think it'd be a crime if they didn't i think olave should have been nominated as that third rookie of the year candidate over frankly either kenneth walker or brock purdy i would have had olave second behind garrett wilson uh and i like gino because that's a real comeback despite the fact that as people on our side have pointed it's out, real, it's not a real comeback. It's like the best return to form. Yeah. It's not like textbook what the award is. But like, I'm not complaining I, about it. I'm just saying. I, I see it as as much of a comeback. Like, 
Vince Verhey has pointed out both on our site and in email chains to us that the things that he came back from were self-inflicted, which while true doesn't make it less of a good story. And you think about just the entire plot of him taking over Russell Wilson's team and outperforming Russell Wilson and leading that team to the playoffs after being completely irrelevant for five, six years like that to me merits this award. Like I don't really, I don't really care about the semantics. Like he deserves to be recognized in some way for what he did. Whereas Barkley and McCaffrey both played a fair amount of last season. All, all rapid fire through comeback player of the year. Uh, I think Geno Smith narratively is the best performatively. Christian McCaffrey is the best, but I also think we kind of knew that when healthy, Christian McCaffrey is the best player in football uh, or one of the best skill position players in football offensively. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, offensive rookie of the year. It is shocking to me that the Jets had not one, but two offensive rookies of the year. Because if you remember prior to his ACL tear in Denver, Brees Hall was the odds on favorite for rookie of the year. Uh, I mean, so he would have lapped a, this entire field. He was special. What a draft class this Jets team had, man. I'll tell you. Uh, assistant coach, I, I'm going to go sauce too because he's got some crazy, crazy target rates. Like this, like teams were targeting Sauce Gardner and it just didn't matter. Like it, it really, I'm vamping right now so I can pull it up because. Sports Info Solutions saves him under Ahmad Gardner when everyone knows his name is Sauce. But, yeah, he was targeted 70 times this season and allowed 31 completions. 44.3% completion rate. That's crazy for – like, that's a lot for a rookie. If you go into, like, the minimum games thing, you slide that all the way up to, let's call it 12. He's like top, he's top 10 among corners. He's top five among corners. Like that is a crazy number. Teams kept going to him. The guys ahead of him, Darius Williams has a 43.9 on 66 targets. But outside of him, it's really not a ton. Like James Bradbury, Cam Sutton. Like these are guys that are elite, like established corners. Gardner's a rookie and he's cleaning up. He, I think he's the runaway. An assistant yeah, and- coach. If you look at the rosters of these teams, Steichen, you get A.J. Brown in the fold. You already have Devonta Smith. You have crazy offensive line. You got Jalen Hurts. You got a loaded running back room. This defense, you got Fred Warner. You got guys like Telano Ufanga. You got uh, Javarius Ward. You already got a deep point on the roster. Look at the little old lines. <laughs> you got Amon Ross St. Brown. You got D.J. Chark. You got... Jamal Williams, like you have, like one of these rosters is not like the other. And it's why I think Ben Johnson's absolutely deserving of it, even though he's the lone non-playoff assistant coach. What he was able to do with Jared Goff and co and turn turn Jared Goff into a top five quarterback, turn this offense to an offensive, like just a production powerhouse, I'm so glad he's back in Detroit for uh, to be able to do another season with this team before he inevitably gets more head coaching offers next year. But this is Johnson's to lose, I think. I'm cool with that. I mean, I think the Lions in some way deserve to be recognized, and like this is the best way to do it because they were an offensive-led team uh, that made 
Herculean efforts in in their offensive improvement from last year. So, as you said, like you're not overly impressed by the skill players, and certainly not the quarterback who are in the building uh, on on reputation alone. And the the numbers that they were able to get out of that group uh, really speaks to Johnson's ability as a play caller. Jackson, that'll do it for us. We went a little bit long on awards, but hey, how could we not? It's award season. It's award speculation time, and we gotta give that a little kernel analysis where we can. Jackson, as always, we have to shout out footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. If you're looking to get any of our statistical analysis, if you're looking to get, you know, fantasy breakdowns, betting guides, a two-decade worth accumulation of almanac material, if you're looking to get behind the paywall and look at some of our All 32, some of our FO Plus content, you got to go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Just do it. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> what, what else are you waiting for? If you're if you're not looking to go the extra mile and buy in on those, you know, all those that immense amount of resources that we offer for the low, 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 low price. So I believe I like five or six bucks a month. I got to look at that. But not more than a big cup of coffee. What you could do is join the Discord for free. And hop in and talk ball with us every time there's games on the Audible's live channel. We're getting channels up to talk draft. We're getting channels to talk offseason. We're getting channels to talk general and non-football sports. We also got USFL and XFL channels up there. We are ready for this end-of-season run. We are ready for this offseason. There's not a place you'd want to be more than that FO Discord. All I'm saying is if anyone wants to start golf outsiders inside the football outsiders discord with me, there's some, some intense drama going on in the golf world the last couple of days with the Roy McElroy, Patrick Reed T flip scandal that I would love to break down with anyone who's there. Jackson, there is a channel for that. So you can spearhead mm-hmm. that if you'd like to, and you can talk all the golf and all the baseball in the world with Jackson in that channel. Let's go. That'll do it for us as always. For the birthday boy, Jackson Roberts. Happy birthday. Happy birthday before we sign off. Thank you. For Jackson, I'm Kev. We'll see you guys next week. See you.